0: Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read there in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, and reading verse 8 again. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. In J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, the hobbit Frodo is speaking with the wizard Gandalf, and he says to him, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And Gandalf wisely replies, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us. I don't know about you, friends, but I sometimes find myself, at moments, wishing that I lived at a different time. A time when the spiritual landscape in Scotland was just a little bit brighter. Maybe a time of revival, maybe a time of awakening, maybe a time where, as uh, some people love to say, the roads would be black with people going to church. But I have been called and you have been called to live in days where we are to be faithful and fearless as the cause of Christ comes under real and relentless opposition. This morning we're continuing our studies in Seven seven Dangers Facing a Healthy Gospel Church and we're going to focus on the danger of being crippled by fear when it comes to our commitment to Jesus. The danger of being crippled by fear when it comes to our witness for Jesus. And we'll look at these verses under three headings. The description, then the danger, and finally the declaration. First, the description. Look at verse 8. Here, the risen Jesus gives a description of who he is. We can start by noting who the letter is addressed to at the beginning of verse 8. It's addressed to an angel. Now, last week we said that that word angel doesn't simply refer to a heavenly being. It can also refer to a messenger, one who is speaking on behalf of another. And that is the sense in which the word has been used here in Revelation 2. And it's addressed to the angel or messenger of the church in Smyrna. It's addressed to a church leader and to the congregation whom he represents. Uh, And they're based in Smyrna. Smyrna was a harbour city about 35 miles north of the city of Ephesus that we looked at last week. It was renowned for its beauty, renowned for its trade. It enjoyed an excellent relationship with Rome and was the leading centre of the Roman imperial cult, where the emperor was worshipped as saviour and lord. And because of this, the city was given the privilege, the the prestige, the position of having a temple dedicated to the emperor Tiberius. It also had a very large Jewish population that was becoming increasingly antagonistic to the Christian movement. We can continue by noting who the letter is addressed from in the second half of verse 8. The church in Smyrna is told that this letter has come from the one who is first and last. Last week we said that these letters in Revelation 2 and 3 have come from the risen and exalted Jesus and here he tells the church in Smyrna that he is the one who is first and last. He is first. He is there at the beginning of history and he is last. He will be there at the close of history. He is the eternal one who rules over the past, rules over the present, and rules over the future. And the church in Smyrna is then told that this letter has come from the one who died and came to life. That Jesus, who is sovereign over history, stepped into history. And when he stepped into history, he died. But death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't keep him down. He rose from the grave. It's interesting to reflect on the fact that in 600 BC, the city of Smyrna was destroyed by King Aliates. But by 290 BC, it had been rebuilt by Kings Lysimachus and Aetonychus. It was a city that had died and come to life. And here there is an an exalted Jesus is telling the church based in the city, I'm the one who died. I'm the one who came to life again. Now friends, as we consider these verses, we are being given a reminder of who Jesus is. That is what we see here in Revelation 2. The risen Jesus reminds the church in Smyrna that he is the one who is first and last, the one who died and came to life again. In other words, he is the one who is eternal and who is victorious. That is his timely reminder to a church who, as we'll soon see, were experiencing pressure and persecution for their faith. And that is such an important reminder for ourselves. The risen Jesus is eternal. He's the one who was there at the beginning of history. He will be there at the end of history. And he's there at all the points in between. And no matter how much hatred and hostility his cause has faced and is facing and will ever face, He will never be toppled. He's an immovable rock. Jesus is the one who remains the same yesterday, today, forever. The Jesus whom we are worshipping today is the same Jesus whom we worshipped in Stornoway Primary three years ago. The same Jesus whom many of you worshipped in the High Church of Scotland ten years ago. The same Jesus who was worshipped by the disciples 2,000 years ago. He is eternal. And the reason Jesus is victorious. He's the one who died but came to life. Not even death could keep him down. He's the one who is bigger than death and has defeated death. And he is able and he is willing to rescue his people from death. Death will not be the last word on them. The risen Jesus is eternal and he is victorious. And the question that I want to begin today asking, friends, is do you know this Jesus? I'm not asking, do you know about him? I'm asking, do you know him personally? Do you know the Jesus who is eternal? Do you know the Jesus who is victorious? Do you know him? Not, do you know about him, but do you know him personally? But well, we come second to the danger, verses 9 and 10, where the risen Jesus now highlights the danger facing the church in Smyrna. In verse 9, we see the awareness. The risen Jesus begins by telling the church in Smyrna that he's aware of their tribulation. That word tribulation means to be squeezed, to be tightly pressed, to be crushed. We've already seen that the city of Smyrna was the leading center of the Roman imperial cult. And the imperial cult was insistent, emphatic, in saying that a person needed to give their full allegiance to the Roman emperor. If they didn't, then they would suffer the consequences. And that was almost impossible for a Christian to do. Since a Christian could neither say that the emperor was saviour or lord. For a Christian, Jesus and Jesus alone was saviour and lord. And it would seem then that the Christians in Smyrna are experiencing a slow and steadily increasing persecution for their faith. Th- their faithfulness to Jesus has brought them to a place of tribulation. The reason Jesus continues by telling the church in Smyrna that he is aware of their poverty. The imperial cult was insistent that a person couldn't share in a city's public life, to take part in any of the trade guilds unless they were part of the cult itself. And so, any professing Christian who took their commitment to Jesus seriously quickly found themselves being excluded from the public life of the city. They found that they couldn't take part in buying or selling goods, they found that they couldn't be invited to particular social functions, they were being pushed out of the picture. And it would seem then that this has resulted in the Christians in Smyrna becoming poverty stricken. They're economically destitute. They can't buy, they can't sell, and they can't move away. They're stuck in between a rock and a hard place. But at the same time they're told they are spiritually rich. Jim Hamilton writes, they are rich because they have what will save unto eternity. When Jesus comes on that white horse, outdated clothes, beat up cars, houses where the appliances haven't been updated will cease to be indications that we are poor. The only thing that will matter is whether or not we have the gospel. And if you have the gospel, you are rich indeed. The church in Smyrna are rich. The church in Smyrna have the gospel And finally, the reason Jesus tells the church in Smyrna that he's aware that they are being slandered. At this time, Judaism was regarded as a legal religion by the Roman Empire. And because of that, Jews were exempt from taking part in the imperial cult. They didn't need to worship Caesar as Lord and Savior. And for a number of years, the, the Christian movement was under the umbrella of Judaism. And they enjoyed the same protections the same privileges. But it would seem that these Christians in Smyrna are now being slandered. They are being denounced by those who claim to be Jews. The Jews who are living in Smyrna are going to the Roman authorities and they are saying, see these Christians, they're not really Jews. So you better make sure that they take part in the imperial cult. You better make sure that they bow to Caesar as Lord and Saviour. Because if they don't, you really need to take action. You need to make sure that they face the consequences. They're being thrown under the bus. And Jesus says that such people are a synagogue of Satan. He says that they have shown their true colors and have proven themselves to be allies of Satan, the devil, the one who is opposed to God and opposed to the purposes of God. But we can move from Jesus' awareness to Jesus' appeal. Look at verse 10. There isn't Jesus now appeals to the church in Smyrna to be fearless, beginning of verse 10 tells them not to be fearful of what they're about to suffer. And he outlines what that suffering will entail. He says the devil is going to put some of them into prison. And he says that the purpose of that imprisonment will be to test their faith. Note behind the devil's malicious designs, malevolent designs, Jesus says... It will test, it will strengthen the faith of the Smyrna Christians. The devil might think that this time in prison will destroy the Smyrna Christians. Jesus says, no, it will strengthen their faith. It will test their faith. It will build them up in their faith. And Jesus goes on and says that that tribulation, that time in prison, that that suffering will continue for 10 days. Now, please note, Jesus isn't referring to a literal 10 day period. Rather, he is highlighting that that tribulation, that suffering has a fixed time, a set time, a limited time. Jesus knows when it will begin and he knows when it will end because he is first and he is last. But the reason Jesus goes further and he appeals to the church in Smyrna not simply to be fearless, but to be faithful. Look at what he says in verse 10. He tells them that they are to be faithful unto death. Right now the church in Smyrna could easily be gripped by a fear that would result in them wavering and wandering. Compromising and collapsing when it comes to their commitment to Jesus, their witness for Jesus. And Jesus is urging them not to succumb to such fear, but to be faithful. And to be so faithful that it might even cost them their lives. And he tells them that if they are faithful unto death, they will receive, they will be given by him the crown of life. Christians in Smyrna were familiar with the athletic games where a victorious athlete would would receive a laurel crown, a victor's crown. And here Jesus is saying to the Christians in Smyrna that if they shun fear and if they embrace faithfulness even unto death, they will be given a crown. And he says it's the crown of life itself. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being confronted with the danger of being crippled by fear of suffering for Jesus. The danger of being crippled by a fear of suffering for Jesus. That is what we see in Revelation 2. The church in Smyrna are experiencing tribulation, they're experiencing poverty. They're experiencing slander over their allegiance to Jesus. And things aren't going to get better for them. Things are going to get worse. Some of them are going to be put in prison. Some of them are going to be put to death. And fear is starting to rise within their hearts. And thoughts of compromise, thoughts of being less vocal about their commitment to Jesus are no doubt becoming very attractive to them. And the risen Jesus says to them, I want you to be fearless and I want you to be faithful. Even as the pressure intensifies, even as the vice tightens, I want you to be fearless, I want you to be faithful and I will give you a crown of life. But if you succumb to fear and if you're not faithful, you will not receive that crown of life. And you know, friends, that is such an important caution for ourselves. Suffering because of our allegiance to Jesus is to be expected in the Christian life. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul writes? He says to Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But it can be all too easy to lose sight of this. Juan Sanchez writes... Subconsciously, the idea of comfort and security as a right is so ingrained in our Western psyche that deep down most of us expect to serve the Lord at no personal cost at all. And if left to our own devices, that is what we will do. While the Smyrna believers face tribulation, we expect peace. While they experience poverty, we expect prosperity. While they endured slander, we expect honor. We encourage our kids to study hard at school so they can grow up to enjoy a life of peace, prosperity, and honor, too. Sanchez continues When deep down we are afraid to suffer for our faith, we will gravitate away from the suffering and toward comfort, security, and privilege. That happens on an individual level and on a whole church level, too. Imagine a church that's struggling to grow because it just doesn't have a culture of evangelism. The membership is faithful but static. Christians are reluctant to engage in personal evangelism because they're afraid of the reception they will receive. Now I'm sure friends that many, perhaps all of us, have known times when we were fearful rather than faithful when it came to our witness for Jesus. I've known it in my own life. I've been in the supermarket and the checkout operator said to me, any plans for the weekend? And maybe you've done this. I've mumbled and muttered something like, nothing much, just a quiet one really. I didn't want to tell that supermarket person that I was going to be worshipping the risen Jesus on Sunday. Or I found myself dropping off gospel tracts in people's letterboxes while at the same time hoping and almost praying that they won't answer the door when I knock. And maybe some of you are the same. Maybe your witness has been crippled by a fear of suffering for Jesus. Maybe for some of you it's even fear about going forward. Fear about making a public profession of your faith. You're afraid of what your friends will think or say. You're afraid of what your family will think or say. You're afraid of what your colleagues will think or say. You might even be fearful about what others in the congregation will think or say. This morning I want to ask each of us, as individuals and as a congregation, are our lives marked by faithfulness or fearfulness when it comes to our commitment to Jesus? Are our lives marked by fearfulness or faithfulness when it comes to our witness for Jesus? You see, friends, if we are going to be a healthy gospel church, and I hope that is your aim, I hope that is your ambition, if we are going to be a healthy gospel church, that will involve embracing Christ exalting risks. Not comfort, not security, not safety. It's going to mean that we have to speak to people about the gospel. It's going to mean that we have to invite people into our church services. It's going to mean that we have to run events and invite people to those events. So friends, I ask you the question, are you willing to embrace a path of faithfulness or fearfulness when it comes to Christian witness, when it comes to your commitment to Jesus? Third and finally we come to the declaration. Look at verse 11. Here the risen Jesus declares what will happen to those who act on his words. What will happen to those who act on his words? At the beginning of verse 11 we hear the exhortation. Last week we said that throughout the Gospels we hear Jesus issuing this call, let the one who is used to hear listen. It functions as an exhortation to a person to open their minds and open their hearts and to what he is saying and to act on it put it into practice and here there is in jesus says to the church in smyrna he who is near to hear listen to what the spirit says to the churches he is exhorting the church in smyrna to open their minds and open their hearts to what he is saying and to act on it put it into practice and we can move then from the exhortation to the encouragement in the second half of verse 11. The risen Jesus speaks now about the one who conquers, the one who overcomes. That language of conquering or overcoming describes a living faith, an active faith, a faith that perseveres to the end. On this occasion, it refers to the person who embraces. Faithfulness over fearfulness. A faithfulness that is willing to even endure death because of commitment to Jesus. And here the in Jesus tells the church in Smyrna that if they conquer and put what he has been telling them into practice, they will not be hurt by the second death. Now that second death is mentioned three times in Revelation. Revelation 20 verse 6 we read, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. Revelation 20 verse 14 we read, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. Then in Revelation 21 verse 8 we read, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulphur, which is the second death. What's clear in reading these passages is that there are two deaths. The first death is the temporary separation of body and soul that every one of us must face. When our hearts stop beating, our lungs cease to inhale or exhale, every one of us has to face that first death. But there is also a second death where unbelievers will be separated from God forever. And here the risen Jesus encourages the church in Smyrna with the promise that if they hear and put what he is saying into practice, they will not be hurt by that second death. He is telling them... That they will not experience that future, final, eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Now, friends, as we consider this verse, we are being given an encouragement to listen to and act on what Jesus is saying. That's what we see in Revelation 2. The risen Jesus has acknowledged that the Christians in Smyrna are experiencing tribulation, they're experiencing poverty, they're experiencing slander. And he's appealed to them to be fearless. And he's appealed to them to be faithful even to the point of death. And he now exhorts them to listen to and act on what he is saying. And he encourages them with the promise that if they do so, they will not be hurt. They will not be touched by the second death. And friends, that is such an encouragement for ourselves. Some of you might be familiar with the story of Polycarp. Very unusual name, but they had unusual names in the old days, even more unusual than names like Spangi or Dudi or, or any of these other names. But Polycarp was bishop of the church in Smyrna uh, until his martyrdom in 155 AD. And the account of his trial and his death is fascinating and inspiring. Listen to this account. He was arrested and he was encouraged by the Roman proconsul to curse Christ and thereby save his life. And Polycarp said, now listen to those of you who are over 80. Some of them say to the young people to listen, those of you who are over 80, listen to this. Polycarp said, 86 years I have served Christ and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul went on, I shall have you consumed with fire unless you change your mind. Polycarp replied, The fire you threaten burns but an hour and is quenched after a little. You do not know the fire of the coming judgment and everlasting punishment that is laid up for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Come, come. Do what you will. Here was a man who wasn't crippled by fear, even at the age of 86. Instead, here was a man who was faithful unto death because he was more concerned about avoiding the second death than he was about avoiding the first death. And that applies to every single one of us today. Joel Beeke writes... Jesus is saying, remember this promise when the crisis comes. For when you are under pressure, when you are in the grip of fear, you might be tempted to cave in. So think about this. The second death cannot touch you. The first death, physical death of the body, is simply the gateway to eternal life. This morning the in Jesus is exhorting us as individuals and as a congregation not to be crippled by fear. Not to be crippled by a fear when it comes to our witness for him. Not to be crippled by fear when it comes to our commitment to him. And as he exhorts us in this way, he encourages us to think of the glorious reward that awaits those who listen to and act on what he says and so I ask you again friends are you listening are you listening to the risen Jesus as he counsels his church to be aware of a crippling fear when it comes to our commitment to him let's pray